Ads on your phone may be even more of a privacy threat than you thought. The mother of all data breaches. Ring will stop handing over data to police and much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 164, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. Henry is on jury duty. I'm just kidding. Henry's busy this week, but he will return soon. And, and feel free, as always, to leave your Henry's Never Here jokes in the comments. Just a reminder that if you want to keep this podcast going, we currently have a Patreon for $5 a month. You can ask us a question, and we really enjoy answering those. We get a lot of good questions. For $10 a month or more, you do not have to listen to this support pitch, and you get some more of our in-depth analysis, which even though I'm by myself this week, trust me, I will go off on some rants. We also have a Libra pay for those who really hate Patreon totally understandably, but you still want like a recurring way of supporting us. And last but not least, we still have Monero for those who desire the maximum amount of anonymity while supporting us. And as always, if you want to support us, but you are unable to financially at the moment, totally get it. Times are tough right there. I just read about a whole new round of layoffs today. So if things are tight for you right now, you can always like, share, subscribe, comment, all of the usual fun stuff that does not cost a dime, but helps us spread the message of privacy. And we really appreciate it. So thank you for all of you who support us in any way you can. And with that, we'll jump into the news this week. So our highlight story comes from 404 Media, and it says, Inside a Global Phone Spy Tool Monitoring Billions. Just a quick note, 404 has recently started requiring an account to view their articles. They did this basically in response to AI scraping, and they do have a post that does not require you to sign in that you can read that kind of explains why they're doing this and goes into more detail. You can sign up for free. They do accept simple login, a non-addy, stuff like that. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that one. I'm gonna go ahead and quote the article here. Hundreds of thousands of ordinary apps, including popular ones such as 9gag, Kick, and a series of caller ID apps are part of a global surveillance capability that starts with ads inside each app and ends with the app's users being swept up into a powerful mass monitoring tool advertised to national security agencies that can track the physical location, hobbies, and family members of people to build billions of profiles. The tool in question is called Patterns with a Z. They mentioned there's a demo video and in the actual article they have like clips of the video. At one point in the video, Ton, who I I didn't write down his full name, he's the, at one point was the CEO of Patterns or maybe still is. Ton clicks on a particular profile. The next screen shows a wealth of information about that particular device and by extension person. It includes a long list of GPS coordinates related to them with Ton saying location accuracy can be down to a meter. What address those coordinates corresponded to? The person's frequently visited locations, including their home and work address, which for the target is in a hospital nearby. The specific apps used by the person in this case Case, caller ID and block by call app and true call caller ID and block the brand of phone and its operating system, a Samsung running Android nine, a list of other users that were next to the target when they were at home and at work. It also shows their hobbies and interests in this case, business software, technology, and computing. And in another example, Tom tracks the movements of someone who he says is a flight attendant on a Russian airline quote. That's why they travel so much. And the pattern system lists their hobbies as video and computer games and board games slash puzzles. Patterns users are able to set up alerts for what they determine to be important events, such as quote, a person arrived to a location person leaving a location, person meets another person, unquote. Patterns monitors at scale and in marketing material claims to analyze more than 90 terabytes of data every day and have profiles on more than 5 billion user IDs. Coverage is global. While Patterns product is focused on the passive ingestion of data, the company says it can also help push malware to targets. Offense, send targeted message ads or Trojans directly through the ad tech stack for optimal results. 
That was marketing material posted to the website of an Israeli security organization. Patterns marketing material explicitly mentions real-time bidding. As usual, I'm kind of like cutting out the relevant portions here and bringing them together. That's just pointing out that they specifically mention like real-time ad bidding is what makes this possible. And that's, for those who don't know, when you see an ad on your phone, when companies pay for ad space, what happens is there is a real-time, like within microseconds, or at very least within seconds, there is a real-time bidding process for who's gonna get that ad space. So that's what they're taking advantage of here. While Tan's comments in the video put the total number of patterns-connected apps at around 600,000, the demonstration version of patterns shown in the video claims to have data from about 177,000 Android apps and just under 62,000 iOS apps. So this affects Android and iOS users. Patterns doesn't need to enter any sort of direct relationship with the app developers. Instead, it is all handled by the ad networks and platforms that are plugged into the app. 404 Media does not know if the app developers are aware of patterns' existence, and none of the developers that we contacted responded to a request for comment. We don't need to install anything on the phone, Tan says in the video. Multiple other media outlets have investigated the real-time bidding surveillance pipeline. In May, Bloomberg published an investigation focused on an Israeli surveillance firm called Rayzone Group, which acquired ad tech companies and also posed as prospective advertisers in order to harvest data. In September, Haaretz published its own investigation into other Israeli companies that have developed the capability, and I think we did cover that on a surveillance report a while back. The Wall Street Journal also tracked the flow of real-time bidding data to contractors. In other words, some part of patterns is an active participant in the online ad ecosystem. So this is not an isolated thing to patterns. That's who this article is focusing on. But clearly, this is a whole industry, kind of like spyware. We talked a lot about Pegasus and NSO Group. NSO Group is just one of them. There's a lot out there. And just to know, early on in the article, which I think you can access without signing in if you want, they link to a research paper where the authors claim that this is a national security risk, which can and has been used to monitor like state officials, military leaders, journalists, stuff like that. So this is really important stuff. This is something that is being abused and is rampant. I think the takeaway here is that ad blocking is really important. And, you know, I understand the argument for people who are in favor of ads, the argument of like, well, I want to support the people, you know, we're on YouTube, we have ads turned on and we do make, I don't know, a, a couple hundred bucks maybe a month from that. I also understand, you know, there are people who defend ads because they're like, well, I want to know. I want to know what new products are out there. However, this shows that this is not just about supporting creators or learning what's out there. These pose an actual privacy risk. Ad blocking is not just a matter of a better internet experience. Ad blocking is, it's a cybersecurity issue because they talk about being able to plant malware on your device. Even the FBI has recommended it for security reasons because of malvertising and things like that. But it's also clearly a privacy issue because they are able to use the metadata from these ads to understand more about you and track you. This is really unsettling and unfortunate stuff. I think that's kind of all I got on this one. Block ads wherever you can, however you can do that. It's a lot harder to do on a mobile device. I feel like Brave is an option, regardless of which OS you're on. There are things like NextDNS, AdGuard. There's Blockada on Android. If you use a reputable VPN provider, like some of the ones we recommend, a lot of them have the option to block ads and known trackers and malware and stuff like that through their DNS. It's definitely not bulletproof, but anything you can do to safely block these ads. I don't think that's really a hot take in the privacy community. If you're not doing that for whatever reason, I think now's the time to start. All right, let's move on to data breaches. And we're gonna start off with a big one. It is being called the mother of all breaches and it reveals 26 billion records. I like the way the article said this. There are data leaks and then there's this. 
A supermassive mother of all breaches, or MOAB for short, includes records from thousands of meticulously compiled and re-indexed leaks, breaches, and privately sold databases. The supermassive leak contains data from numerous previous breaches, comprising an astounding 12 terabytes of information spanning over a mind-boggling 26 billion records. The leak, which includes LinkedIn, Twitter, Weibo, Weibo, I don't know how that's pronounced, Tencent, and other platforms' user data, is almost certainly the largest ever discovered. While the leak dataset contains mostly information from past breaches, it almost certainly holds new data that was not published before. For example, the CyberNews Data Leak Checker, which relies on data from all major leaks, contains information from over 2,500 data breaches with 15 billion records. Researchers believe that the owner of Moab has a vested interest in storing large amounts of data and therefore could be a malicious actor, data broker, or some service that works with a large amount of data. The leak also includes records from various government organizations in the U.S., Brazil, Germany, Philippines, Turkey, and other countries, unquote. Our next breach comes from Trezor. The support site exposed personal data of 66,000 customers. So Trezor issued a security alert after identifying a data breach that occurred January 17th due to unauthorized access to their third-party support ticketing portal. Just for those who don't know, Trezor is a cryptocurrency wallet, a hardware wallet. No digital assets were compromised, but a subset of 66,000 users who have interacted with Trezor support since December of 2021 may have had their names or usernames and email addresses exposed to an unauthorized party. Postal addresses, phone numbers, and other personally identifiable information were also stored on the breach system, but Trezor does not believe these were impacted. Unfortunately, Trezor has already confirmed 41 cases where the exposed data has been exploited, with the attackers approaching users to trick them into giving away the recovery seeds. The Trello API has been abused to link email addresses to 15 million accounts. So an exposed Trello API allows linking private email addresses with Trello accounts, enabling the creation of millions of data profiles containing both public and private information. Trello is an online project management tool owned by Atlassian, that is commonly used by businesses to organize data and tasks into boards, cards, and lists. News of the leak came last week when a person using the alias Emo attempted to sell the data of almost 16 million members on a popular hacking forum. They wrote that it contains emails, usernames, full names, and other account info. Lone Depot says 16.6 million customers had sensitive personal information stolen in a cyber attack, but unfortunately, that is all we know. The attack was earlier this month, which they did describe as a ransomware attack, but other than that, they have not said what kind of sensitive or personal data. So as always, we'll keep you updated if we hear anything about that. And last but not least, we have a very unfortunate story that I think we might have covered. And if we did, this is an escalation. If we haven't covered it before, this is an escalation. The headline says, email threats to patients escalate after Fred Hutch cyber attack. Concerns have grown in recent weeks about data privacy and the ongoing impacts of a recent Fred Hutchison Cancer Center cyber attack that leaked personal information of about a million patients last November. Some patients have started to receive swatting threats in addition to spam emails warning people that unless they pay a fee, their names, social security, and phone numbers, medical history, lab results, and insurance history will be sold to data brokers and on black markets. With that, we'll move into companies. This was another kind of slow week, so I think we're going to move through these pretty quick. We only have two company stories. We're going to start off with the de-Googled smartphone company Murena launching their own brand mobile network. Murena Mobile, as the new service is called, is built atop T-Mobile and is available to U.S. customers only at this time. Available plans range from 4 gigabytes of data at $35 a month through to unlimited data, which costs $65, with unlimited calls and texts available across the board. While Murena does collect some personal information, including email address, name, address, and credit card details, this stops short of the level of data that is often required by big carriers, which are known to sell this data to advertisers. Morena also intends to bring its new mobile plans to Europe sometime in 2024, while it will eventually support physical SIM cards, but for now, it is all about eSIM. Okay, our second company story is pretty surprising. It says, Ring ends feature that lets police ask for users for videos via Neighbors app. 
I'm going to quote the article. There's really not much relevant here. It's a couple sentences. Ring announced the plan to discontinue the voluntary request for assistance tool in the app as part of a broader update Wednesday morning. The change means that police and fire departments will need a warrant to request footage from Ring users unless they can show it's an emergency. A post by Ring's Eric Kuhn did not give a reason for the change. All right, let's move on to research. iPhone apps abuse iOS push notifications to collect user data. So this is different from we talked about a couple weeks ago how police can request warrants to access push notification data for both iPhone and Android. This is specific to iPhone. It has nothing to do with warrants and it has everything to do with the apps. So quoting the article here, numerous iOS apps are using background processes triggered by push notifications to collect user data about devices, potentially allowing the creation of fingerprinting profiles used for tracking. These apps bypass Apple's background app activity restrictions and constitute a privacy risk for iPhone users. After analyzing what data is sent to iOS background processes when receiving or clearing notifications, the researcher found that the practice was far more prevalent than previously thought, involving many apps with a considerable user base. Depending on the app, this data includes system uptime, locale, keyboard language, available memory, battery status, storage use, device model, and display brightness. Apple will plug the gap and prevent further abuse of push notification wake-ups by tightening restrictions on using APIs for device signals. Until that happens, iPhone users who want to evade this fingerprinting should disable push notifications entirely. Unfortunately, simply making notifications silent will not prevent abuse. Again, I try to condense these articles into the relevant bits. Basically, your apps, as you probably know, when push notifications are enabled, Apple has a system in place on the OS where these apps are allowed to wake up briefly, ping the server for any notifications, and then goes back to sleep. And if it finds anything, it pushes notification to you. And so as this researcher found, you can use these push notifications to pull additional data from the device. They said Apple is going to fix this. And basically, it's not a foolproof fix. But they're basically just going to require developers to start stating why they need access to these APIs and what data they're going to request. All right, this one's fun. So Tesla was hacked 48 times in two days at Pwn to Own Tokyo. These are two articles. We'll start with the first one. Tesla hacked 24 zero days demoed at Pwn to Own Automotive 2024. So this included three bug collisions and 24 unique zero day exploits. The Synactive team successfully chained three zero day bugs to get root permissions on a Tesla modem. They also used two unique bug chains to hack a Ubiquity Connect EV station and a Juicebox 40 smart EV charging station. A third exploit chain targeting the ChargePoint HomeFlex EV charger was already known. Security researchers also successfully hacked multiple fully patched EV charging stations and infotainment systems with the NCC group EDG team displaying zero days exploited to hack the Pioneer DMH WT7600 NEX infotainment system and the Phoenix contact. I'm not going to read all that. Just If you want to know what they hack specifically, it's there. After the zero day bugs are exploited and reporting during Pwn to Own competitions, vendors have 90 days to develop and release security fixes before Trend Micro's zero day initiative publicly discloses them. And then the follow-up second part of that article says Tesla hacked again, 24 more zero days exploited at Pwn to Own Tokyo. The Sedactive team chained again two zero day bugs for a sandbox escape to hack the Tesla infotainment system. They also used a three chain zero day exploit to hack the automotive grade Linux operating system. So, all right. And our last research story says over 5,300 GitLab servers exposed to zero-click account takeover attacks. So the critical flaw, which has a score of 10, by the way, 10.0, so it's the most critical, allows attackers to send password reset emails for a targeted account to an attacker-controlled email address, allowing the threat actor to change the password and take over the account. Although the flaw does not bypass two-factor authentication, it is a significant risk for any accounts not protected by this extra security mechanism. GitLab released fixes, but 13 days after the updates were made available, 
threat monitoring service Shadow Server reports seeing 5,379 vulnerable GitLab instances exposed online. With that, let's move into politics. So we're going to start off with a pretty recent story. NSA buys Americans internet data without warrants, letter says. The National Security Agency buys certain logs related to Americans' domestic internet activities from commercial data brokers, according to an unclassified letter by the agency. The letter offered few details about the nature of the data other than to stress that it did not include the content of internet communications. In a letter to the Director of National Intelligence, Senator Ron Wyden argued that internet metadata can be equally sensitive as location data the FTC is targeting. He urged intelligence agencies to stop buying internet data about Americans if it was not collected under the standard the FTC has laid out for location records. In the letter, General Nakasone, who I believe was the former NSA director, they said, wrote that his agency had decided to reveal that it buys and uses various types of commercially available metadata for its foreign intelligence and cybersecurity missions, including NetFlow data, quote, related to to wholly domestic internet communications, unquote. According to the article, NetFlow data generally means internet metadata that shows when computers or servers have connected, but does not include the content of their interactions. Such records can be generated when people visit different websites or use smartphone apps, but the letter did not specify how detailed the data is that the agency buys. When asked to clarify, an NSA official provided a statement that said that the agency purchases commercially available NetFlow data for its cybersecurity mission trying to detect, identify, and thwart foreign hackers. It stressed that, quote, at all stages, NSA takes steps to minimize the collection of U.S. person information, unquote, including by using technical means to filter it. The statement added that it limited its NetFlow data to internet communications in which one side is a computer address inside the United States, quote, and the other side is a foreign or where one or both communicants are foreign intelligence targets, such as a malicious cyber actor, unquote. He also said that the agency did not buy domestic location information, including from phones or internet-linked cars known to be in the country. This next one comes from the EFF, and it's just to kind of keep you guys updated on what's going on. This specifically pertains to San Francisco. They say, vote no on Proposition E to stop police from testing dangerous surveillance technology on you. If Proposition E passes, we can expect the SFPD will use untested and potentially dangerous technology on the public anytime they want for a full year without oversight. How do we know this? Because the text of the proposition explicitly permits this, and because a city government proponent of the measure has publicly said as much. While discussing Proposition E at a November 13th, 2023 Board of Supervisors meeting, the city employee said the new rule, quote, authorizes the department to have a one-year pilot period to experiment to work through new technology to see how they work, unquote. Any privacy or civil liberties proponents should find the statement appalling. Police should know how technologies work, or if they work, before deploying them on city streets. They should also know how these technologies will impact communities, rather than taking a deploy first and ask questions later approach, which all but guarantees civil rights violations. This ballot measure would also erode San Francisco's landmark 2019 surveillance ordinance that requires city agencies, including the police department, to seek approval from the democratically elected board of supervisors before acquiring or deploying new surveillance technologies. The new ballot initiative, however, attempts to gut the 2019 surveillance ordinance. The measure says, quote, the police department may acquire and or use a surveillance technology so long as it submits a surveillance technology policy to the board of supervisors for approval by ordinance within one year of the user acquisition and may continue to use that surveillance technology after the end of that year unless the board adopts an ordinance that disproves the policy. All right, this next story is also in California, and this comes from a listener, so thank you for submitting this. It says, sorry, speeders, new bill would require speed-limiting devices in California cars. Quoting the article, what if you could not speed that much? That's the premise of a new bill in the California Senate that would require vehicles sold in the state to be equipped with speed governors to limit how fast they can go. The proposal from Senator Scott Weiner, or Weiner, I don't know how that's pronounced, is part of a package of bills that he hopes will reduce traffic entries and deaths in the Golden State. Quote, there is no reason why 
why people should routinely be allowed to drive more than 10 miles per hour above the speed limit. You can want whatever you want, but that doesn't mean you're allowed to do it, and that doesn't mean you should be physically able to do it, unquote. The measure, which is Senate Bill 961 for anyone in California, would require every passenger vehicle, truck, and bus manufactured or sold in California to have speed governors starting in 2027. The devices would use GPS technology or cameras to verify the speed limit in particular area and slow a speeding vehicle down if it approaches 10 miles over the speed limit. Weiner says he is open to changes in the bill, for example, whether to require active or passive speed governors. For those who don't know, active speed governors would actually reduce the speed of the cars that hit the 10 mile an hour limit, while passive ones would make some sort of annoying sound or buzz to warn drivers to slow down. The European Union passed legislation that will require passive speed governors in all cars sold in member countries starting in July. And then one of the person they interviewed who was against this, they said there are times where drivers may want to speed up enough to switch lanes to move away from certain unsafe situations. He doesn't mention, but, you know, to get to the hospital or something. Probably shouldn't do that, but I can understand why somebody would be in a hurry. He says our preference is for drivers to have the maximum ability to do that. We don't think technology or even well-intentioned regulations should obstruct that. Okay, this next story is kind of good news. It comes from France. It says French regulator finds Amazon $35 million over its surveillance system of warehouse workers. The canal says that Amazon France Logistique has implemented a surveillance system that is overly intrusive. In particular, they are focusing on the warehouse barcode scanner and Amazon's data gathering practices related to the connected device. When an order is processed, an Amazon picker grabs a product, scans it with the scanner, and puts it into a crate so it can be shipped to the customer. Indicators tracking the inactivity time of employee scanners were put in place. The canal ruled that it was illegal to set up a system measuring work interruptions with such accuracy, potentially requiring employees to justify every break or interruption. Quick side note, I'm pretty sure I've heard other people pronounce it canal. So I'm sorry if that's wrong, but that's from people smarter than me. That's how I hear them refer to it. So that's why I'm doing that. The article says both the idle time, which indicates a period of scanner downtime of 10 minutes or more, and the latency under 10 minutes, which tracks scanner interruptions between one and 10 minutes, are deemed illegal by the canal when it comes to data processing. Amazon has also implemented a stow machine gun indicator to prevent mistakes. It signals an error if you scan an item less than 1.25 seconds after scanning the previous item. It sounds like a way to prevent double scanning mistakes but that's a GDPR issue too, according to Canil. It's worth pointing out that the Canil is listing some data processing wrongdoings. This isn't a labor case. It's a data processing case about illegitimate and excessive monitoring of the warehouse workers. So Amazon has said that in response to this, number one, they disagree. Of course, they always disagree. They have said they might appeal it. In the meantime, they're going to disable the stow machine gun indicator. And as for the idle time metric, Amazon will extend the threshold limit. From now on, the company will trigger this indicator after 30 minutes instead of 10 minutes. Okay, and then our last political story also came from a reader. It says Mozambique to require biometric card registration for cell phone users. According to information from the Mozambican Communications Regulatory Authority, INCM, the pilot phase of implementing the new rules begins on Monday, uh, the 15th, so I think it already began, and will run until June 16th, still on an optional basis, becoming compulsory in the last six months of the year. So starting in July, it will be mandatory. From 2025, subscribers who fail to regularize their SIM card registration risk having their cards blocked. According to the organization's administrator, the use of biometrics will, quote, make it easier to identify the perpetrators of crimes in the sector, which is currently difficult due to the lack of this information, unquote. Generally speaking, in Mozambique's telecommunications sector alone, an average of 5,000 scams and frauds are reported every month that jeopardize the security of the telecommunications network. The use of biometrics is intended to make it easier to identify criminals. Okay, we only have one FOSS story this week, and it's pretty quick, but it is kind of good news. It says Flathub now has over 1 million active Flatpak app users. 
So that title kind of says it all. The team believes that the recent growth in users comes from several factors, including the availability of some very popular apps such as Firefox, Thunderbird, VLC, Spotify, OBS Studio, Chrome, and Telegram. Support for new and unverified apps, the inclusion of FlatHub as the default app source for the Steam Deck's desktop mode, as well as the growing adoption among many popular GNU Linux distributions like Fedora, Linux Mint, KDE Neon, and others. And last but not least, we have Misfits. And again, we only have one quick story here. Water services giant... I don't know how to pronounce that. Veola, North America, hit by ransomware attack. This impacted part of their municipal water systems division and disrupted its bill payment systems. The attack has not disrupted their water treatment operations or wastewater services. And that was all the stories we had for this week. It was kind of a short week, but it was a big week. You know, we had the uh, global phone spy tool monitoring billions called Patterns disable ads and be aware of that. We had the mother of all data breaches, which is just fascinating. I mean, there's really, you know, once the data's out there, there's not much you can do about it, but it's crazy to know about. Ring is going to stop handing over police data for some reason, but you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, I guess. And much, much more. And as always, like I said, any of these stories, we hear any updates, we will try to keep you guys updated. Reminder that this podcast takes time to produce. It takes materials, takes laptops, microphones, cameras, hours to edit and upload. So if you want to help keep us going, if you are in a position to do that, Patreon for $5 a month or more, you get to ask us a question for our Q&A, which will be out later this week. And for $10 a month, you don't have to listen to this support pitch anymore. And again, you get more of our analysis, which, yep, I did manage to add in some commentary this week, even though I'm solo. For those who want a recurring way to support us, but don't like Patreon for any number of reasons, we have LibrePay. And of course, we have Monero for those who desire the maximum amount of anonymity and still want to support us. So thank you guys very much for listening. And again, we would appreciate it if you can help spread the word around. Like, subscribe, comment, at least on the YouTube side. Those things really do help with discoverability. And if you're not on the YouTube side, or even if you are on the YouTube side, you know, sharing it around. We have that Surveillance Clips channel now. (laughs) He'll probably be mad at me for saying this. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I don't really care how many subscribers it gets, but I'm excited for that channel because now, like he said, you don't have to send this huge 30 to 60 minute long podcast that's, you know, people are going to look at it and be like, bro, I don't have an hour. What the heck? But you can send them this short, like three minute, two minute, five minute video that they're probably going to be a lot more open to watching. And again, you don't have to worry about time stamping and the thumbnail and the title don't match and stuff like that. Like it's just a really convenient way to share it. Really excited about that. So share that stuff around. I I think it really does help not just like help us grow, but it, it also helps reach new people with privacy. And we try to pick stories that are relevant to the main stream that we think that people would be interested in sharing with their friends and family. So again, that's that's a great way to help us out and spread the message of privacy. We're grateful that you guys have been watching us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for all your support, whether it's financial or again, sharing, commenting, the whole nine. We'll be back next week doing the same thing like we always do, hopefully with Henry in tow this time.